0: Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haber and Matt Weber, brought to
1: you by Pixel Cut Lab.
2: All right, welcome to another episode of Search Talk Live. I'm your host, Robert O'Haver, along with Matt Weber of Roar Marketing in Orlando, Florida. Matt, how's it going? Doing
0: fantastic, Robert. Another uh, interesting show for you and I, Just practicing safe social distancing remotely. I got to tell you, Robert, I'm uh, doing something new this show. I saw online where folks are doing this with wired headsets, kind of going back old school to get a better sound quality, so I'm going wired for this show. I think I've almost strangled myself twice so far, and we're not even two minutes into the show.
2: (laughs) Well, I tell you, that's what I'm actually using, and I've found it to be pretty good.
0: Yeah, and you know, I'm watching uh, all these people producing this content now that are streaming, and everybody's using Apple AirPods, going wireless, and I thought, ah, it's a little bit too risky for me. I'm going to see if I can go old school here and get better quality.
2: Yeah, you sound great. Thank you. All right, well, today our guest is well diverse in the industry. Um, his name is Greg Sterling. He is the VP marketing of marketing insights at Uberall. Greg, how are you? Uh,
1: I'm I'm about as good as can be expected under the circumstances. Yes, uh, I think we all feel that. I mean, I'm not sick, so that's good. I'm feeling yeah. I'm feeling pretty good.
2: It's definitely a plus. Well, why don't you tell our listeners about yourself and your background?
1: Yeah, so as you said, I'm a VP of Market Insights for Uberall. Uberall is a um, presence and reputation management company that um, works directly with multi location brands and with small businesses through partners in North America. I joined in January, uh, so I've only been with the company a short time. Before that, I was the um, uh, VP of insights, so many insights. Hopefully, I'll be able to bring bring them to you today here uh, at an organization called the Local Search Association, which was the old Yellow Pages Association. Before that, I was a consultant and analyst for about eight years with a couple of different companies. And way, way back in the old, you know, in the in the Jurassic era era, I was a uh, I was an attorney. I was a lawyer originally, uh, wow. which which was kind of kind of painful and horrible and took all 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 my strength to get out of that profession but i did it that's one of my life's great achievements well, so I'm that's another uh, law uh, i did civil litigation a lot of different kinds over the gotcha. course of about 10 years um so that's another podcast in itself so you're, so you're
0: a recovering attorney as we say
1: <laughs> well i'm i'm pretty recovered i mean it's i've been out I'm, i've been out for 20 22 years pretty much um, so, yeah, I'm pretty recovered, although I still think about certain situations in a lawyer, lawyer-like lawyer fashion. Um, but, it, but my sort of general area of study and kind of inquiry and research has been pretty consistent over the last 20-plus years that I've been involved in Internet marketing, which is, uh, you know, location – and how consumers use the internet to make purchase decisions ultimately in the real world which nobody is doing right now except <laughs> except at grocery stores and i have
2: to hand it to you crossing that lawyerish type content versus you know speaking in a in a normal tone you've done a um, amazing job at oh, thanks. converting from that
1: <laughs> Th- thanks well, you know, it's funny. I when when I when I um I went to law school, it it actually helped me become a better writer. One of the handful of benefits that came out of law school, you wouldn't think this, is, is that I became a kind of a, a more a, my writing became clearer and less kind of pompous and inflated. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that that was. But thank you. I mean, l- lawyers tend to think and speak in a lot of jargon and uh, and uh, you know sentences with a lot of clauses and. I I like to think I people wouldn't identify me as a lawyer at a party or something.
0: Well, good to have you. And I know we've spent the last uh, couple shows talking about what is you know right now the most important topic we can talk about. The thing that's on every business owner's mind right now is how do we not only get out of the COVID nineteen area, but survive and hopefully rebound even stronger. What is your sense right now of what small business owners? Could be doing in this time
1: where maybe they have a little more time on their hands. Well, I mean, the first thing that they've got to deal with is is their financial situation, obviously, um, and that's a a big topic. But in terms of, um, let's assume that somebody's in an okay position and not uh, kind of uh, you know bailing water out of the boat. Uh, they can They can certainly go deeper into internet marketing and learn how to promote themselves more effectively. I mean one I used to run a series of digital marketing courses for um, for uh, small businesses um, when I was at the local search association, so we would get we would get businesses together and try and teach them how to do things you know google facebook um, reputation management, et cetera. And one of the, one of the things that was uh, clear to me is that a lot of them are trying to do everything on their own. They don't have agencies. They don't have uh, uh, experts in house to do this. And so they're they're sort of stumbling around, um, you know, trying to do it all on, the, on their own. And they often blame the platforms or the tools when they fail to achieve the results that they expect. And certainly, you know, they can get a a great deal more sophisticated with just a little bit at least conceptually with just a little bit more effort during this time you know sort of reading the materials that are out there um you know trying trying to do a little more than they've been able to do when they've been sort of you know t- time strapped and all
0: what's the one thing you would hope that they master if they had a just a limited time and a limited set of choices they could pick
1: one thing to master doing this down point, what would you recommend? Well, I mean, if they're if they're a traditional business that has a physical location, let's assume at some point that the world opens back up and we all go back into the sunshine and can go to restaurants and you know dry cleaners and all these places. Um, you know, they Google my business and and Google is sort of the number one thing that they need to need to understand and and uh, you know and deal with. Um, Facebook is very important. Um, Email marketing is important, but really it's Google My Business, and that encompasses reputation management. You actually,
0: uh, I think, co-authored or or participated in an article that made the position that even Google's own statistics on how how many searches are local intent are underreported, that it's lower, that it's really a big
3: deal.
1: Well, I mean, it's just common sense, right? I mean, my entire kind of second career here has been about understanding how consumers use the Internet to make purchase decisions. And most of those purchases happen in the physical world, right? I mean, people always talk about retail. Over 90 percent of retail is still happening in stores. I think now it's at 90 or 89 percent. You know, when you factor in services, which is the bulk of 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 the economy now, I think, um most of those are fulfilled in the real world all the people that come to your house to do things all the things that you get done in the physical world that isn't uh, a, a particular good that you're buying those are th- those are all fulfilled in the world right you, you 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 don't do most of those things online the the local economy is more than 10x the size of e-commerce but what people do almost to a person is that they go online and they look at reviews or they do searches or, you know, they look up locations X, Y, Z near me. And they're making those decisions about where to go, who to, who to buy from, who to call all based on content. That's on the internet, content on websites, content in Google search results to some degree content in in social media and a lot of reviews. And if we just think about that kind of from our own personal anecdotal perspective, it makes total sense that that the digital is driving huge trillions and trillions of dollars of purchase behavior most of which is offline e-commerce is an increasingly important part of the economy and for a lot of these businesses and we can we can talk about that later but it it it's really a small part of the overall internet economy and so google to get back to your question so what what google says is 20% of um of desktop searches carry a local intent. And then they say about 30% or a third, they sort of go back and forth uh, on mobile devices, have some sort of local intent. And it really go you know, Google is being conservative. Google likes to sort of be, you know, hedge a bit and they're, they're not gonna sort of go, you know, reach beyond and say something too, a little bit too risky or controversial. But um, in, in sort of private conversations or private, um, settings like um, uh, conferences that haven't been public and other contexts—they've they've alluded to bigger numbers. One so somebody was saying 46, 46% was a number that was cited by a Googler. We don't really know the context exactly of that. Marissa Mayer, who used to be at Google and sort of at one point was in charge of all their local offerings before she went on to be CEO of uh, of Yahoo, s- said on a blog post that had, uh, 40% of of mobile searches had a local intent. So, Google uses different methodologies to figure this out, but if you just look at the common sense, people look online, they buy stuff offline and if you if you if you consider where people purchase things, it's a much, much bigger number. Are you going to buy a refrigerator o- online? You know maybe you would maybe I would most people wouldn't you know are you going to buy a piece of furniture online most of the time not maybe a mattress now um, but you're you're sure as heck going to use the internet to make those to do that research
0: sure. Yeah, and you can see why your advice to let's focus on Google My Business during this downtime is so important. Now, Google's made some changes in Google My Business to actually help businesses during this time to communicate some operational changes. Can you go over those with our listeners?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been a, been a ton of stuff. I mean, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to capture the, the full chronology. But um, so Google has, you know, G- Google sent everybody home like most other businesses that still had employees and um, they reduced their support staffing. So what they, what they did is they shut down all, all new reviews and Google Q and a they're starting to reviews are sort of starting to show up in fits and starts a little bit, but mostly reviews have been shut down. Q and a has been shut down. They've encouraged businesses to either mark themselves temporarily closed or to uh, indicate special hours Change business descriptions, um, you know, update uh, information so that you can convey whatever you need to to your to your customers. They've cr- they've created a special category of Google posts for COVID-19. Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff off the top of my head that they've done. Uh, th- there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty much week to week uh, as as the situation evolves.
0: How do you think Google My Business will change in the post-COVID era when we're facing a world where movie theaters might be different than we realize them? People might have different ways of doing business with restaurants, grocery stores. What do you personally see in how Google My Business will adapt to what's next?
1: Well, I think there are two immediate responses to that. Um, And they both involve acquisitions that Google made. So earlier... It was probably in 2019, actually, but it might have been early this year. Google bought a company called Pointy, an Irish company. And Pointy was a, um, uh, a, a tool, essentially, that connected to a small retailer's point of sale system to help get inventory online. So, you know, as things are are sold, the system captures that data, uses an algorithm, and gives, gives a, a kind of a, a ongoing inventory that can be then... You know, pushed out in various places online into ads, landing pages, and elsewhere. So that that will help small businesses uh, communicate their inventory to the public. That's that's an important thing, especially right now when you know there are product shortages and people don't know where they can get toilet paper or paper towels or certain kinds of goods. So going forward, and especially as as businesses need to diversify and get into e-commerce a bit more um that may be that that kind of online inventory landing pages with with real time inventory that will i think we'll see more of that then uh, the second thing is transactions generally um, you know google has over over the last couple of years been turning google my business into a much into a, a platform that enables commerce transactions so they have this re- reserve with google program where third party partners can help um, you know business owners uh, enable online food ordering and booking, and you know scheduling things like that. So variety of categories of businesses you can, you know, book an appointment or you can order food. Um, you know, this this mirrors something that Google's doing with shopping more broadly. They're hosting the transaction. They're trying to trying to drive more transactions directly th- through Google, and this this speaks to a larger trend integrating the online and the offline, as we were sort of talking a little bit before. But they bought a company recently called the Ordering App, which um, is a, a sort of back-office system, sort of like Pointy for retailers but for restaurants, where um, you can enable f- food ordering, um, and it has other functions too. So this is this is Google trying to help small businesses kind of become commerc- – I'm going to coin a phrase here – commercified, commercified. You know, uh, e-commerce enabled. And I think we'll see more of that, much more of that through Google My Business, um, you know, kind of going forward after this. Yeah, it really does look like Google My Business is going to become the fulcrum
0: of the engagement with consumers in the future. And so therefore becomes
1: even a higher priority for business owners to master that as a marketing channel. Exactly. I mean, Google cons- co- t- refers to it as an engagement platform and an engagement tool. And, you know, um, they've added some social features to it. So they see it sort of holistically, as a, as, as you say, as a sort of a, a, a kind of a hub for business owners. And, and it's a critical, if you had to pick one, that would be the one.
2: As long as it doesn't take any more organic space.
1: <laughs> well, we can't. You know, that's a whole other topic about zero click. But, but, but one of the things you can do in a zero click context is you can optimize for all the different, not, not you know, Google properties and Google features, SERP right. features, and Google My Business is one of them.
0: We should go into
1: that for folks listening to the show
0: for the first time. This idea of zero click. Talk about that concept and what does that mean to businesses?
1: Yeah, so so the sort of simplest way to put it is is a, a zero-click search is a search in which the user gets an answer without clicking through to a website, and these often arise in the context of factual queries like, what's the weather in New York? Uh, who was the 16th president of the United States? Who won Best Picture in you know 2020? These these sort of questions that are commonly asked. Google will have an info box or an answer box that will often, you know, have a kind of rich media in it. You'll see images, you'll see text. Um, Sometimes those are so-called featured snippets, but it's a lot of content right at the top of the page. doesn't require a user to click through to get that that information. There are other features of the page that will also serve that function. Um, You know, you ask a question like... um, how many calories in a hamburger, you'll often get that answer straight away. So people don't have to go deeper to get that information. And what what um, that now represents about 50% of search results according to uh, jump shot data that was pretty widely publicized last year. So fully half or slightly more than half of search results um, don't require a click through to a website. It's, it's a higher percentage in The blended the blended result is 50. It's slightly lower in desktop, slightly higher in mobile. You know, it kind of like the pandemic statistics, that number becomes even more meaningful when you look at how fast it's grown. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have that data in front of me, but it has grown very, very fast. But I mean, I think, you know, to put it in some historical context you know this is this has been evolving over basically a decade i mean google started in you know started with universal search where it started integrating sort of vertical search results from its other properties you know roughly a decade ago and adding more and more rich content into the search results page so we've seen gradual it's it's accelerated in the recent past but it's it's been building for a long time and google you know marketers don't like it because it takes away from clicks to their website um but google google says it's just serving users i mean i think there's you know the truth is somewhere in between um but it's been it's been going on or a version of it's been going on for quite a long time
2: well, let me ask you this is if we see this more and more in the future where will we gauge as marketers i mean obviously if if the rich answers provides action you're wanting them to take then whether it's effective there or in, on the website how are our marketers in the future going to gauge their success for, say, like an SEO? They're not clicking through.
1: So that's that. So that's a, a little bit of a challenge. There are analytics. I mean, Google My Business has Google My Business Insights, which is flawed, but does give you s- visibility on actions uh, consumers take. Um, sure. And there are there are actions, calls, you know, clicks, directions. You know, snippets will drive clicks. Snippets uh, – there was one report that was released by a um, an agency called Proficient Digital that actually argued that snippets – featured snippets at the top of the page, the text, were mm-hmm. click neutral because uh, sometimes they drove a lot of clicks, sometimes they didn't. So there are still clicks happening. Um, Google is providing a lot of analytics, you know, on ads. So it's ultimately – one one answer is you got to buy more ads, and then you'll get the analytics. Uh, for, 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 for 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 an organic, uh, you know, marketer for an SEO, um, you you'll have to cobble together stuff. Uh, you know, people will say you're not looking for clicks. Ultimately, you're looking for customers. So right. it's 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 really about driving whatever it is, qualified leads or transactions or whatever your ultimate metric or KPI is. And it's 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 you know, people fixate on clicks, but you should be fixating or focusing on 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 customers and acquisition and lifetime value, and all that stuff. Right.
2: I guess my point was, you know, if it's the, in the zero position and they're giving an answer where as if they came to a, a blog post on a website and might bring them into like a service page or a product page yep. that you don't have that path anymore,
1: you know? <laughs> right. No. And that's and that's just straight up true. I mean, I think it's harder. It's it's harder. You you don't have as much control. Right.
0: Greg, you recently participated, I think you authored an article in Marketing Land, and you asked uh, several experts, how can they make their COVID-19 content unique? Because everybody's trying to crank out COVID-19 related content right now. What did you get as the takeaway from those experts and how to make content in this COVID-19 era unique?
1: Yeah, I I think there are a number of takeaways. Um, The the short answer is that there's no magic answer or solution. Uh, I think part of it is is your attitude and part of it is uh, your knowledge. So one of the things that people said um, was, paradoxically, don't create content for the sake of content. Just don't be pumping content out into the world just so you have content, but then at the same time, the recommendation is maintain a regular schedule, do publish on a regular schedule. Um, But, but use the, use the kind of filter or, or test or threshold. How does this help my customers? Is this going to bring value to my customers? That's sort of the primary consideration, right? Are you writing something that they, that they're, that they're going to use or that's going to be useful to them? And um, did you, I'm sorry. Did you want to jump in? No,
2: no, I was just, I was just going to say, you know, in, in in my mind you you know a lot a, a common practice for a lot of content writers is research from other articles um in my mind if you can't create something that ad, is an added value or information you know should you even put that out there
1: well the, the, if the it's short more answer, of the same no. yeah the short answer is no um I mean so often you'll get a provocative headline or an interesting headline and then you go in and it's some stupid list that says nothing interesting or new it's just this bland you know set of high level points yeah but one of the, one of the points that was made to me is what what do you have as a as a marketer or as a platform or as a technology company that's unique do you serve a particular industry do you have unique data do you have some sort of unique point of view that you can bring to your content Um, you know, I I mean, when I think about writing and I, I don't always do this, obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm imperfect, but I, I try to really sort of get beyond some of the platitudes that, that clog up a lot of our marketing content and just, just, you know, what's, what's real or what's really important or what's really interesting about this thing that I'm looking at. Um, So is there something unique that you can bring to the content?
0: Is there a a greater danger to being self-promotional right now in this coronavirus era than there was previously?
1: I don't know if I would say there's a greater danger of being self-promotional. I think the danger, oh, I see what you're saying. I think the danger is there if you are self-promotional. So I think consumers want, there's a lot of research that has been done very quickly about what consumers or what users want from brands and companies they want them to help they want them to be helpful they want them to make people feel comfortable they want all these things they have high expectations and if you screw that up as a brand or as a marketer you know there are some consequences that may not have existed before so if you if you come out and you do something which seems nakedly self-promotional people are going to have a very negative reaction to that It's pretty mm-hmm. tough because everybody, you know, there's a lot of free products now. A lot of companies are allowing you to use their tool or their thing for free. And Uberall has a version of that as well um, around listings. And, um, and you know, there's, there's always sort of a mixed message there. It's like, here's our thing, and it's free for a limited time. And you know that's great because it's helpful and it gives people access to something they'd have to pay for, but then there's all there's always this sort of lurking feeling that it's that there's some manipulative dimension or it's really about acquisition or something. And so it's 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 really right. tough. it's really tough for brands to negotiate that. I think. Yeah, it always feels like there's a string attached somewhere. Yep. Yep.
0: Greg, how are you seeing consumers? change in this era. Are you noticing anything different either in query data or in uh, channel use data?
1: Yeah, so in in both kind of categories, right? I mean, um, so everybody's stuck at home and Uh, One interesting thing is that desktop usage, this is Microsoft data, desktop usage has gone back up, right? So everything was sort of migrating to mobile devices. And we've seen, at least according to their data, some return to the desktop. People are sitting in front of their, you know, doing work all day to the extent that they can and sitting in front of these desktop computers. So there's been some uptick there. Also, um, a lot of social media usage, you know, people are using social media to connect uh, even more than before. And so it's kind of, People that were sour on Facebook or 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 dissatisfied with social media have kind of returned to it because out of necessity. So there's that kind of thing. Um, you know, search is being used very 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 heavily for obvious reasons. It's always been it's always sort of an initial point of entry into any research or any kind of content inquiry. But especially these days, and the kinds of queries that people are doing reflect their current situation. Now Google you know, sort of has has organized the behavior into three categories. Google has sort of said there's there's three kind of groupings of, of activity that they're seeing what they what they call immediate needs, uh, new, quote unquote, new day to day and then emerging behaviors. And the immediate needs is like stores open, um, essential services, food delivery, grocery delivery, you know, open. financial aid. That <laughs> kind of stuff. Right. I need how do I apply for unemployment? That kind of stuff right? That's immediate needs, kind of lizard brain stuff. And then uh, day, new day-to-day is like cooking and recipes and productivity and, and you know, uh, how to stay healthy at home and how to f- interesting things to do with, you know, and in this sort of vicarious environment that we're in. And then these emerging behaviors are, are they claim, or not claim, they say about, um, you know, how to bring the outside world in. So like, virtual, you know, entertainment, virtual travel, you know, museums, um, fitness and beauty. And so they've kind of conceptualized it that way. But I mean, I think another way to look at it is just people have kind of gone from wants to needs, you know, a lot of discretionary items to, you know, flat out survival stuff, you know, and then stuff that helps them work at home, uh, video, you know, Zoom and that kind of stuff.
0: Let's flip that question on behalf of businesses and so our business owners, marketing people, they're at home and they're watching some of these major brands produce what are kind of called user generated content. You're watching the tonight show produced by a yeah. iPhone. Does that if affect businesses coming out of this COVID-19 era? Do they all of a sudden say, Hey, this content generation thing really isn't that difficult.
1: You know, it's an interesting idea. And I think the, hopefully, hopefully would be the answer. I mean, I think people have been intimidated by production costs and high production values. And I think these examples, as you say, may inspire small businesses in particular to do some of these things themselves. And video is an incredibly powerful medium. You know, you can do something with an iPhone, upload it on YouTube and, you know, pretty effectively market yourself. I mean, that sounds easier than it is a little bit. But I I hope what you're saying is true. I hope I haven't seen any direct evidence of it. But I've got to believe that your instinct is right, and people will take inspiration from that.
0: You know, that's true. And we say Google My Business is the most undervalued, important channel that a small business owner can focus on during this time. Maybe YouTube is not that far behind, as they have to figure out how to sell their product without face-to-face meetings, without face-to-face interactions. Maybe it's
1: going to be YouTube. Exactly. I mean, YouTube has always been kind of the – number two you know search engine people always say that youtube is the second largest search engine but you're you're exactly right video is is a very powerful way to communicate stuff that you can't communicate in text demo products um you know and um back to the zero click thing that's a way to optimize uh for the search engine uh serp the serp the search results page because youtube content often shows up very high on the uh high in the SERP. And so, um, I think you're exactly right.
2: All right. Well, it's time to take a break. When we get back, we're going to do who influences the influencer. It's sponsored by directive. Uh, you can go to dot com. but when we get back, uh, we're going to ask you who influences you
3: after these messages. Hey, Brennan here, founder of the U S search award winning SEO agency, pixel cut labs. We're launching a new video series, and we're inviting the Search Talk Live family to get involved. So here's the deal. I'm opening up a group of one-on-one consulting sessions to fix your SEO roadblocks. If you're okay with us publishing a recording of the call on our website to promote our expertise, the consulting session is on me. If you're facing a crawl issue, struggling with creating effective content, or just need some help identifying the right keywords to target, go ahead and take the next two minutes. Visit bit.ly slash seocall. There's no spaces, no capitals, no hyphens bit.ly slash call and tell me what you need help with. If I think I can help, I'll send over a few times for our consulting call and you can choose what works for you. So again, the link is bit.ly slash call, no spaces, no hyphens, all lowercase, and it will take about two minutes to fill out. I'll bring everything to the table to help you break through the barriers you're facing as long as we can use the recording of our call to promote our knowledge. Looking forward to hearing from you.
2: Directive is an industry-leading search marketing agency fully focused on helping B2B marketing teams increase their results. If you're looking to increase your marketing-qualified leads and decrease your cost per acquisition for search engines, I'd highly recommend you take a look at their site. We've actually had their CEO, Garrett Marguth, on the show and I can honestly say these guys are doing some great stuff I hear that they even have their own analytics system that lets you correlate your SEO PPC or content efforts directly to revenue if you're a B2B company and thinking about switching agencies or if you're in house and need help I'd give Directive a look visit DirectiveConsulting.com or call 949-214 4024 Again, that's 949-214-4024. Again, that's Directive at DirectiveConsulting.com.
4: Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy. Until now. Smilelytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand, memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at Smilelytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics, S-M-Y-L-E, lytics, like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com.
1: Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show.
2: All right, Greg. We want to know who influences you.
1: So. I've been thinking about that, and it's really tough. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't have any direct um, inspirations in the in the in the marketing world. I would say, you know, there's nobody within. Well, you guys, of course, but beyond that,
0: <laughs> okay, beyond you can that, come back.
1: <laughs> yeah Be- beyond that i don't i don't i'm not looking to any particular marketer i mean there's a lot of really smart creative thoughtful people in the marketing world and i'm impressed when i hear them speak or 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 um you know s- see them but but I, I i you know things that are really interesting to me are kind of outside of the scope of marketing um you know i'm i'm a big uh, uh You want me to name names. So I'll I'll give you a name uh, of somebody that I think is really intellectually interesting. Uh, Do you know who Michael Pollan is? He's the food writer and food culture writer. Mm -hmm. uh, Botany of Desire. He wrote a book on hallucinogens recently. And coffee is his most recent thing on caffeine. Um, He's a pretty interesting guy. But I like people like that who are outside of the digital marketing arena. Uh, Mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of, you know... I mean, I, I could say people like bill gates you know um one of my favorite one of my favorite talks is the steve jobs um stanford commencement address i don't know when it was it's years ago um yeah. where he where he talks about the three three failures that taught him some of the greatest lessons of his life that was very powerful so there's a lot of different things that influence my thinking and i like to bring lots of outside influences um you know history art Mm-hmm. Etc. philosophy into into my day to day thinking, because it kind of I would feel a little bit claustrophobic if I was only reading about marketing. I never read about marketing like the, these these marketing books that people write. I just never I it's just would be too claustrophobic for me.
0: Earlier in the show, Greg, you very well pointed out that some of the things that Google is doing in Google My Business are literally not figuratively changing week by week how do you keep up with changes like that particularly in the uh industry that you're in
1: well uh, google is doing a decent job of publicizing those things on their own they're pushing out a lot of pr they're writing a lot of blog posts Um, it's almost too many and then there are a lot of uh, third party really smart um, marketers who are chronicling what google's doing who are tracking it i mean in the local space Mike Blumenthal and Joy Hawkins, who are, who are digital marketers, local digital marketers um, are capturing a lot of that. Um, uh, Bright Local's doing a very good job of that. So there's, there's a bunch of people who are, who are capturing those changes and, and, and helping to expose them. I'm also on a Slack group with a bunch of local SEOs. I'm not a local SEO, but these guys are. And, and <laughs> they're a terrific source of insight and updates and perspective. So, uh, David Mim uh, is there, and um, uh, you know, um, Joy is in there, and Carrie Hill, and um, Darren Shaw lots of people really, really good group of local marketers in there.
0: I know one area that you are very well steeped in is reviews and review solicitation. Give us your best tips for review solicitations? Because that's a place where a lot of business owners go wrong and actually take a step back from their efforts rather than a step forward. What's, what are your
1: best tips? Um, so we have to carve out Yelp separately from this discussion because Yelp has the strictest rules and they don't want anybody to ask anybody for reviews. But outside of that, You know there are some best practices, and you you absolutely should be asking customers um, for for reviews. There there are lots of tactics that people use. Fundamentally, you should not gate any reviews, meaning you shouldn't channel on dissatisfied customers down one path and satisfied customers uh, to another. On balance, if you ask all your customers for reviews. Uh, more more likely than not they'll be positive that's what the data show overwhelmingly um, there are people who suggest well you can prompt your uh, customers with certain kinds of language and they'll reflect that back in the reviews um, and that's like an SEO trick but I, I don't think you need to do that I mean I think you need to think of your reviews as a way to get customer feedback um, which is sort of its most fundamental uh, aspect you want your customers to talk back to you but then after that you want you need, you know, to get them to put that content on the different platforms. And it's it's really, uh, the key ones are Google My Business, Yelp, Facebook. Um, and then um, uh, if if there is some vertical, you know, TripAdvisor is, is important for a lot of people. And then there are other verticals specific to the industry where it's important. And you just want to ask people in an ethical way, hey, you know, You review us here on these platforms. You can provide them with links in an email or you can send people to a landing page with links. Um, You know, there are different ways to do it. And there's a lot of advice online. Um, But you want to be ethical. You don't want to reward people with uh, financial incentives or compensate them in any way that's that's against the rules. Um, Just, you know, most people will be happy to give you that feedback. Uh, Some people take you down a path with a survey and then dump you. Uh, in a place where you can, you know, link to a a, a review site, uh, there are different ways to do it. But you want to you want to be ethical. You want to you know you want to be uh, not manipulative in any way with people.
2: And from what I'm I can tell from the updates that GMB has been doing, that social interaction between the reviews and responses you give have a lot to do with where you sit in GMB. That 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 engagement. You know, as far as responding to reviews, whether good or bad.
1: Yeah, so so it, so it's it's critical to respond to reviews. It's good that you mentioned that. So it's critical to respond to reviews. Um, negative reviews should be be responded to depending on the the intensity of the review, faster, uh, or or not as fast, but in any case, within twenty four hours. Yeah. I, there's no evidence that review response rates you know meaning if you respond faster or slower have any impact on SEO but the engagement does appear to impact SEO certainly reviews do yeah. better reviewed businesses are going to rank um but it's just good practice right think about it in a people tend to get get into this sort of SEO fetish mindset and they should just really think of things in common sense terms if your customers are telling you something you want to be responsive if it's critical you want to respond to it if it's favorable you want to say thanks you want to engage with them that yeah. you know and 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 just handle it in a common sense way. I mean uh, my met, what I was me referring to is in the local
2: 3 pack, yep. uh not SEO wise, but in the local 3 pack ranking your business higher isn't based on your reviews but the interaction between you and those reviews.
1: Maybe. Uh it would it, it's based on the it's based on the scores the, vol- the it's based on on the volume of reviews, you know, a number of factors play into it, but m- more reviews and better scores and responding to reviews equals higher rankings. Basically, yes. that's the short version.
2: Yes.
0: So, Greg, if you could give it, and it's going to vary by industry. So nobody listening to the show should panic with your answer. It's going to vary widely by industry. But in general, what would you describe as a business ratio of transactions to reviews? Let's say over a period of time that you think they're doing a good job with review solicitation. Should they be getting, in an ideal world, two percent of their transactions to generate a review, twenty percent of their transactions to generate a review? What is a
1: general sense so a business owner can say, "Yeah, I'm kind of in the ballpark of doing this well." Gosh, you know, you you stumped me because I don't have a benchmark for that. I mean, I'm sure one exists, um, but I can't I can't pull one out of my my posterior here in 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 real in in real time. I mean, I think you know, I think you want to keep reviews flowing and you want to you want to cross a, a certain threshold because consumers will look at 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 businesses that have more reviews and more recent reviews more favorably than than older reviews or fewer reviews. But I don't I can't give an give you a percentage. You know, but I'm sure that I'm I'm not actually I'm not even sure that that research exists. I'm somebody has it somewhere, but I don't I don't know if I've ever seen that published. Interesting. But, But I think you've made a powerful point, though, that and I think
0: Robert and I are guilty of this, that maybe SEOs have commoditized reviews as an element of SEO. And maybe business owners say, well, what is a review? Oh, a review is a thing you do for SEO. When in truth a review is a powerful fundamental business practice in which you learn about what's working and what's not working within your business.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely. You know, you have to you have to have a some sort of discipline around this just by virtue of the fact that this is the world we live in. Most most businesses, especially small businesses don't have a review program. And so you need to have some you need to pay some attention to this kind of stuff, but you, you but, but that's what I would I would argue. It's ultimately about customer communication and a conversation with your customer. And if you if you handle that correctly, then to some degree, these other things will play out in a favorable way. I mean, in the old days, it was all about word of mouth, right? If you were doing a great job, people would recommend you. That's what this is online. You need to continue to do a great job, be sincere in your outreach to your customers, and just try and deliver the best product or service you can recognizing that there're always going to be some psychopaths in the world who 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 write a negative or hysterical review and in fact that's that's not a bad thing i mean for 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 eon's business owners didn't believe that negative reviews would be helpful to them but if consumers only see you know uniformly positive reviews five star reviews across the board they're skeptical of the, yeah. of, the of, of the value of the of those reviews. So you need some you need some negative reviews, frankly, to give your positive reviews credibility.
2: Especially when you respond to those negative reviews, it kind of shows, even though it's negative, it shows that you care about your client or your customer.
1: Yeah, and and there are people who would argue that the review response is not for that customer. I don't hold this point of view, but it's not for that customer. It's for the future customers who are reading that. Response, right. mm-hmm. but but yeah, I mean, and and many of these platforms have tools like Yelp where you can take the communication private. So right. if somebody has a really serious problem, you can kind of take it outside of the public uh, of view and resolve it. But but yeah, you're right. It's 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 really about. I mean, you just you want to deliver cust- the best customer experience you can, and that's the only way for these small businesses to really ultimately compete against bigger competitors.
4: Right.
0: You know, it's 2020. Greg, do you still find that businesses fear that psychopath and that's why they're not actively pursuing reviews?
1: Well, I think a lot of them are just not well informed about the the role that reviews play in the whole process. I mean, everybody sort of gets that reviews are important and that consumers rely on reviews, but they don't fully understand how reviews Function in the Google al- algorithm in terms of the three pack and and why things get ranked the way that they did they do, um, you know and 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 many many small service businesses in particular just it's a time sink for them or they they don't they don't you know they don't really understand quite the intensity around reviews for consumers they they get it conceptually but they they, they don't get it operationally and and they're not executing against it you know.
2: All right. It's that time. All right, Greg, it's
0: time for Believe It or Leave It, one of the more popular parts of Search Talk Live. We're going to give you three statements we found on the Internet, and we're going to ask you to tell our audience whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. I'm very excited about this. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike the earlier segment, I can say something this time. Okay. All right. Here we go. Number one, having a blog post,
0: on your COVID-19 operational changes in your business will positively impact your Google organic ranking now?
1: Leave it. I mean, the answer answer is qualified, potentially yes, but if I have to say either, I would say leave it. Okay. Question number two.
2: Google has relaxed Google My Business guidelines and is allowing the word open in the business name of essential businesses.
1: Uh. What what's the first option? Yes, yes to that. Accept it. Take it. Grab it. <laughs> so and do you 20, think that's
0: true? They have done it.
1: They were they were allowing spamming in the business name um, to communicate whether whether the business was not whether had, they had takeout, for example. So yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There is a little bit more liberty now in the name of uh, businesses. Yes. Now
1: it'll be interesting to see how they crack down on that.
0: When the, they when the they
1: will eventually, you know, as we, things return to whatever normal looks like after after this.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay, number three, believe it or leave it. That was a good one, Robert. In Google My Business, it is better to change the standard hours to not open each day than to use the new temporary closed
1: function. Mm. Also, very also tough, but uh, leave it. Um, Google has said that temporarily closed will not hurt anybody's rankings. Um, So they want you to use either adjusted hours or temporarily closed. So I would, if you're not open, I would argue temporarily closed. Good advice. And just
0: a reminder for everybody listening to the show to go into your Google My Business profile and make sure that you have
1: the most up-to-date current information displaying right now
0: for consumers.
1: And let me circle back to that blog post one, the first one. So, so, will a COVID-19 blog post help you with rankings? It could, depending on the quality of the blog post and the content of the blog post. But a blog post by itself, you know, back to the content discussion, isn't necessarily going to help you rank if you're just pumping out a bunch of, you know, superficial content. Right. right. And I think the content has to be related to what
0: consumers are looking for, because we are seeing a little bit of query data, people Searching things like uh, car dealer who offers virtual test drives, yeah. or right. So it, it's got to be lined up with how consumers are adapting to what they're looking for.
1: That's exactly right, and that's where you can use a tool like Google Trends to get some insight. You know, you should be looking at query logs and and other other tools like that to get a sense of what your customers are looking for, and then create content around that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah I was just doing a project for a client yesterday, and the query volume for teledoc telemedicine. Uh, doctors that do virtual office
1: visits is through the roof in the past two weeks. Yeah. And that's one of the really interesting sort of lasting, you know, a a whole other show that you guys could do would be speculating around what changes we're going to see after the fact. And that's probably one of them, a lot more telemedicine I would imagine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that advice for blog posts pretty much goes across the board for any topic. I mean, really. I mean, it doesn't have to be the topic of COVID-19, but it could, you know, anything you approach, you should be approaching it that way. If you can add value, then, yep. you know.
1: But I mean, so often people just get into this, there's this marketing machine that kicks in, right? With yeah. s- With scheduled posts and scheduled content, and people are just pumping stuff out because their competitors are, and people don't stop and take a breath and really think, is this meaningful in any way, or is this just some kind of perfunctory thing that I'm putting out because of, you know, everybody else is doing the same thing. Right. And
2: and also, I mean, when you're pumping out this content, you want to obtain the goal of that website. You know, know, it's not just throw content out to throw content out.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: All right. So um, next we have the Search Talk Live tattoo.
1: So, Greg, your
0: best piece, your most succinct piece of advice that you want to leave our listeners with, based on the content of the show, that's memorable. Remember, it's got to be tattooable. Robert gets all these as tattoos, so an ink space is limited right now on Robert's body. So, what's your most succinct, <laughs> most compelling piece of advice you can give our listeners?
1: I'm I'm going to date myself, <laughs> but um, um, ethical marketing. Rules. <laughs> mm. So that's, that's like that's that's like from the you know I don't nobody says rules anymore unless it's like a, a retro <laughs> thing. That's like from the disco era, you know, pretty much. Um, but but I I I think uh, you know more and more ethical ethical behavior from companies, and that you know that extends from the way you treat your customers to the way you source your products. Um, how you how you present yourself in the world? I mean, I think this is more and more the case that people people have those expectations, and over the long term, those companies will will hopefully win um, versus the evildoers.
0: Amen to that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, and I, we've always said everybody says your relationships, the strength of your relationships, is discovered during the hard times, not the easy times. So a lot of businesses will find out how well they've been doing at managing their customer relationships during these tough times.
1: Yeah, and you make a really important point that that right now relationships really matter. Um, Colleagues, uh, customers, you know, one of the big pieces of advice that we didn't get into is focus on your existing customers rather than trying to do acquisition at this point. Strengthen those relationships, you know, pay attention to those people, and that will help you with them and also help you later on as they make recommendations of who to work with and it it really good service quality um following through with your promises all that stuff really really matters in a normal time but especially now i think nice good stuff
2: yeah so uh, great well uh, it's been great having you on the show lots of really good information um if people want to reach you how can they do that or do you have a website or
1: yeah, so um, I don't have a personal website anymore. I had, a, I had a blog, screenwork.com, spelled with an E, W-E-R-K, the German spelling, mm-hmm. um, for, for a long time, about 10 years. And then finally, I just got pissed off at my web host, and I was overworked, so I let it go. So that blog mm-hmm. is gone. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Gsterling, G-S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, or you can just email me at greg.sterling at uberall.com.
2: All right. Well, thanks again, man. It's been a great show. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in and listening to our the show. Remember, you can go to Twitter at Search Talk Live. Uh, you can also type hashtag Search Talk Live. If you have a question, we'll we'll ask it live on the air. Craig, thanks a lot for your time.
1: Yeah, my, my pleasure. It was an honor to be on with you guys. Great conversation. Thanks, Thanks to our so sponsors much. to enable experts
0: like Greg to participate in Search Talk Live.
2: All right. Have, a, have a great week, everyone. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Search Talk Live is brought to you by Pixel Cut Labs, a 2019 U.S. Search Award-winning SEO agency. Welcome to page one. If you have a question about today's show or would like to be a sponsor, email robert at searchtalklive.com. That's robert at searchtalklive.com.